When I first connected with Kat, there are a few things that really stood out to me that I felt like could be powerful for this healing series. And before we started talking, I felt like the theme was going to be something around how healing can come when we care for our bodies. And that's still a theme that's there. But I really appreciate the vulnerability you're going to hear in this episode with Kat. Because as she shares, she taps into something that I feel like we really need to press into. Because here's the thing, we can talk about caring for the body, but what we don't incorporate sometimes is how hard that is, but also why it is so hard. How there are things that can literally impact how our brains work. There are things that can happen that can actually impact our understanding of reality. And if our brains aren't functioning accurately, and if we're not seeing things accurately, then how can we fully follow God? The good news is, is we start to tap into that in this episode. We discover that God actually knows that we're going to struggle to honor him with our bodies. And Jesus tells us that he's going to send a helper. If you're struggling with caring for your body, I really believe Kat's story will encourage you. But even if that's not your situation, her story can resonate with so many of the things that we're going through. So I want to encourage you to listen and then consider how God might be inviting you to trust him where you are as you are. You're listening to episode 86 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for this opportunity for Kat and I just to talk. And I really believe that there's something you want to bring out in this conversation. And so we just want to concede that we can't make that happen. So we want to invite you to do it. So guide our minds, guide our thoughts, guide our words. And we just pray that we would really recognize you in this time, but also, and more importantly, that you would be glorified by it. So we give it to you. We thank you for it. And all this in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, so Kat, I'm excited to meet you for the first time. We connected through Podmatch. I know very little about you, but there are a few things that really stood out to me in the little I know. And actually, so the two things that I feel like we're going to end up pressing into is one, there's a lot that you're passionate about, about how healing can come by caring for our bodies. The other thing is there's a line that you had written somewhere, and maybe it was in a response to me, but it was basically the best thing that God did for me was not give me immediate relief. And that really stood out to me. But before we jump into any of that, one of the things that I do is I want to find a way for the guests to share something about themselves, about who they are in a brief but fun way. And what I've been trying to do is come up with really random prompts with very little preparation on my end (laughs) and then see where it goes. So this is what came to my mind as we were starting up. You have just been given your own mid-morning talk show and it's called Cat or whatever it's called. (laughs) And (laughs) there's a commercial, I'm watching TV and the commercial comes up and it's this, you know, normal 30 second commercial spot. But this is where you come out and you're like, hi, I'm Cat. And then you say something about yourself to inspire me to watch your show. So what does the commercial say for the cat show? Hi, I'm Cat. I am a coffee crazed, Jesus loving, worship singing movie geek. I'm a new grandma <laughs> and I love to talk about anything and everything. And I love the way that the little details of our lives, we can see Jesus and share Jesus that way. And that's what I like to talk about. I love it. Great. I'm hooked. 
I'm going to start watching the show. <laughs> I'm going to go be in the audience, clap, see if you put a prize under the seat. It's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I mentioned, there's two things that really stood out to me, that idea of caring for our bodies and that idea of God not giving you immediate relief. And so I say we just jump right in. I want to hear your story, Kat. Tell me your story. I was raised in church. My father is a missionary Baptist preacher. So I grew up in a God-loving, Jesus-following home with parents who took me to church. We were at church more than we were at home. Who we kidding? (laughs) They're still married. I had a wonderful childhood. I have no excuse to be messed up, but I still am. When I turned 18, I decided I wanted to live life my way, right? I didn't want to do the things that my parents told me were right anymore. I was actually saved as a preteen. I was baptized. I was active in youth group. I was inviting kids to church. But, you know, I turned 18. I was an adult now and I wanted to do things my way. And I didn't intentionally walk away from God, but he was not a priority to me. And what happened was I ended up making a lot of choices that I was embarrassed by, I regretted, Mm. and I carried around a lot of shame. I ended up in an emotionally abusive relationship. And with that shame, I ended up in severe depression for about 12 years. I was seeing a counselor. I was taking medication. I was either crying, screaming, or sleeping Mm. all the time. I had no emotional balance anywhere. And after a time, that shame was very, very heavy and the pain gave way to numbness. And after a little more time, that numbness gave way to nothing. Like I felt nothing. And it's hard to describe, but that's the only way I can describe it. I felt like I was in a hole. It was dark and there was nothing there. And I started binge eating. Something happens in your brain when you eat large quantities of junk food or sugar, like chemicals start firing. And and so like there's a little bit of extra energy that happens right there at the beginning. And then there's a crash. And But I felt something that started the cycle of binge eating almost every single day for years and years and years. And when I say binge eating, I mean, full pizzas followed by full pans of brownies, Mm. lots and lots of food. I did eventually leave that relationship. I'm now married to a wonderful man who we attend church together, but there was a lot of healing that had to come from the shame I was carrying, the embarrassment around the fact that I had created the situation for myself because of the decisions I had made. And I didn't want to be honest with anybody about how I got to where I was. I didn't want anybody to know where I was. I didn't want to share that. And so the only thing that could solve where I was was Jesus. And thankfully, God pursued me during that time. He protected me from my own stupidity. And here I am now to tell people about how he can change everything. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I mean, yeah, that idea of going from crying to shouting to sleeping to feeling numb to feeling nothing In that sentence, that actually represents some really hefty things (laughs) that, like you said, it's hard to capture in words. That's such a hard space to be in because somebody on the outside, if they just think of binge eating just broadly, then they can bring in that all their assumptions of who binge eats and why they binge eat, and they can bring in judgments around that. But you didn't just choose to binge eat just out of the blue. Like there is this progression of rough situations that put you in a position where I I really appreciate the way you named it is you felt something (laughs) like for the first time in a while you felt something and great here's something new let me get more of that 
you know, Jesus was the the one who saved you. Mm -hmm. And through that, he also taught you something different about your body Mm -hmm. and about what it means to care for your body. So tell me about that. Several years after I left that relationship, now I was still binge eating. I still had a habit. It wasn't every day anymore, but I still had that habit. I remarried and my husband was an over the road truck driver. And so he would be gone sometimes weeks and weeks at a time. So he had no idea that this was an issue that I faced. But anytime I had a hard day at work or, you know, high stress, I would turn to typically sugar, large, large, large amounts of sugar. And so he and I started attending church together and I'm a singer. I believe that I was put on this earth to worship my Lord and Savior. And so I joined the praise team at our church and we started a new ministry, a recovery ministry. And I decided I was going to help. And I'm using air quotes because Mm -hmm. I had no idea that God was going to put me in that ministry where I thought I was supporting by doing worship and moral support. Instead, he was putting me there to plant some seeds in my heart. Mm -hmm. And as I'm hearing stories from our participants in the group that start talking about their struggles with substance abuse, right? How they were bargaining with God. I'll only use on weekends or... I'll only use when I'm with friends, or I'll only use this much, but never more, or I'll only use this thing, but never that other thing. And as I'm hearing these stories, I realized I had made those exact same bargains with the Lord about sugar. Okay, Lord, I'll only have sweets on weekends or when we have friends over for card games, or it's a birthday party, or I'll never eat more than one serving or two servings. And I learned very quickly making those bargains that self-control is not a fruit of the cat. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And because I was trying to do it on my own, I was not successful. And I will never forget, it was a weeknight. My husband was gone and I'd had a really, really bad day at work. And I had cleaned all the sugar out of the house, you know, because I'm trying to do it on my own. Okay, the kids are in bed. I'm going to find me some sugar. I needed sugar. And I start hunting and I rip open the pantry and I take everything out of the pantry and I pile it on the kitchen table, digging through. There's got to be something with sugar in it. Okay. The pantry's empty. There's nothing there. Let's go over here where we keep this. And I'm digging everything out and there's no sugar here. And I live in the house that I grew up in. I've purchased it from my parents. And before I lived here, my sister lived here. She moved out kind of quickly. She moved out of state. And then I moved in and I thought, I'm going to check the cabinet where Amanda used to keep her cooking stuff. Because let me tell you, that girl can cook. Mm. She is an amazing cook. And I got in the cabinet and I took everything out of the cabinet. And I climbed in the cabinet on my stomach, reaching back as far as I possibly could. And I got my hands on a Ziploc bag with just a teeny tiny bit of powdered sugar in it. We're not going to talk about how long that bag had been there because Mm -hmm. I did not care. And I dumped that bag into a bowl. I mixed it with just a little bit of milk and I stirred it up to make a donut glaze and I ate it. Mm. I don't remember tasting it. I don't remember if I used a spoon. I just know that I needed this right now. And once I was done, I slumped to the floor in my kitchen and I cried. God, how did I get here? Like, this is not normal behavior. How did I get here? I remember praying that he would make something physically wrong with me to give me an excuse to behave this way. Mm. I I was praying that God would make me sick because I wanted sugar so badly. And right then and there, 
is when he spoke to my heart and told me that I had made an idol out of food and I was turning to food instead of him in times of stress and pain. And it was time for me to learn new ways. So he did not take away my desire for sugar Mm -hmm. at all. There were a lot of tears when I gave it up, but I went completely sugar-free for three and a half years. And on that journey, every time I wanted sugar, I would turn to the word of God. And I learned so much about my heavenly father and how much he loves me. I learned what discipleship means because I was literally dying to my fleshly desires. I was literally casting them aside to choose new behaviors that I was learning from the word. Every time I would crave sugar, every time I would cry because I wanted sugar, I would turn to the Bible. And I learned tons from the Psalms because there's so many examples there of, you know, David crying out and saying, I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm afraid, I feel rejected, I feel oppressed. All of those things, he was very, very honest about how he felt, and then he would turn to the Lord. And I love how the end of each one says, but God, you are my holy rock, my firm foundation, and he would turn it to praise, even in those moments. And that's what I learned about our Heavenly Father through that journey. Yeah. I really appreciate that story because it emphasizes well a truth that we struggle to grasp. We look at our situations and we see the things we don't like and that are bad. And those are the things that we need God to go ahead and take care of. And what Jesus knew is that sugar wasn't the problem. It was the propensity to create idols. And if he had just removed the sugar, that wouldn't have removed the propensity to create idols. <laughs> like that idol would have found it some way. And so like, I love that through your story, it demonstrates that the way that Jesus is inviting us into full life, into wholeness is to walk us through what it means to die to having idols. It's a, it's a hard journey. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I appreciate about what you're sharing is You know, I mentioned this earlier, we have a tendency to just make broad sweeps of people and situations and addiction is one of those. And you've mentioned it a few times. There are things that when you eat sugar and when you eat a lot of food, it does something to your brain. In other words, it causes you to function in ways that you wouldn't have functioned otherwise. And when we get into addictive behavior, that also does something to your brain that causes you to do something like crawl into a cabinet and eat Mm -hmm. old. It's like things that we wouldn't have done. And yet here we are doing them. And that can lead to such a place of guilt and shame and even disgust for ourselves. And thank goodness Jesus knows who we are better than we do, who we were created to be. And he can see where we are and know that's not who we are. (laughs) And have the love and patience to walk with us as we go from there to where he's taking us. And so I love your story because it just demonstrates really well that reality that as I'm talking, it's like this verse is interjecting itself into my thoughts and making it hard for me to get my sentence out. It's the verse where the Apostle Paul says, I do not understand what I do because what I want to do, I don't do. And what I hate to do, I just keep doing. And this is a passage that keeps on coming up in conversations And I think rightfully so, because it is demonstrated well in your story that there were things that you were doing that you wouldn't have chosen to do, that you didn't necessarily want to do. And yet here you are doing them. And then you're like, God, I want to do the right thing. I want to do the best thing. I want to do the healthy thing. And I I can't. And that passage ends with him saying essentially like, well, what hope is there? 
well, the hope is Christ. And so, yeah, I, I just love that. You were able to go without sugar for a few years. You were able to get to a place where your mind and body were beginning to operate in different ways. And so I don't know when that three-year period was, but let's fast forward to today. So when you think of who you are today, when you think of your relationship with food and sugar today, and when you look back at what was, where are you now and how are you seeing the world now? Oh, I love that question. One thing that I do like to share is that there's kind of a danger in focusing on the after picture because after you take the picture, you still have to live life, right? So Mm -hmm. I love that question. Thank you for asking it. You know, I had years of yo-yo dieting, right? I would want to lose weight, but then I would binge and would destroy all results that I'd had built at that point. I felt enslaved to that emotional pull to sugar. And after that three and a half year journey, and yes, I did break that chemical dependence on sugar, but more than that, I strengthened my relationship with the Lord. And I I know that my relationship with Jesus is secure because of Jesus, not because of anything that I've done, but I drew closer to him, if that makes sense. It was a more intimate relationship now. And now I am free. When I eat, there's no guilt. I am no longer thinking on a Monday what the treat's going to be on Saturday. It doesn't rob me of peace anymore. And I am still on a weight loss journey. I did lose 100 pounds during that three and a half year period, and I'm still on a weight loss journey. But because of everything that I learned during that time, I can move forward in peace and freedom. Mm -hmm. I know how to read labels. And it's not about, oh, I don't need to eat that because then I have to work it off in the gym later. I move my body to celebrate the fact that I can. I move my body because. God gives me the ability to do so. There was a time I couldn't. And I read labels because I know that there are certain things that make me feel bad, either physically or emotionally, that my body responds to in a way that is negative. And I feel very, very strongly that God gave us good things to nourish us. And my body is a precious resource that once it's gone, it's gone that I am supposed to steward this resource for God's glory and I've got work to do. And if I throw junk in this body to where I can't move it, I can't use it. I feel lethargic all the time, all of those things. I'm not prepared to do the work that God puts in front of me. And nothing is more important than the job that we've been given to share Jesus and make disciples. Nothing. And that includes the food that I taste with my tongues. It's there for a moment and then it's gone. And so it's important that I nourish my body with things that God gave me. You know, I work with women on this kind of thing. And a lot of people ask what kind of diet I recommend. And I said, stop with the diet word. We don't do the D word. We're just going to look at what God gave us. And so we try to find foods that are as close as what he gave us as possible. And my body responds well to those. And most people do. It's when we add junk to our stuff and that's everything. When we try to add things to God's plan, we mess it up Hmm. no matter what it is. That includes food. That includes life. Jesus and does not work. Mm -hmm. Jesus works. Yeah. You know what I love in that too, is it kind of gives this sense of what God is doing is giving invitation rather than our assumption, which is it's about shame. It's about, oh, you were supposed to do the right thing and you did the wrong thing. Oh, you're supposed to eat healthy and you're eating unhealthy. And that shame really comes to a head when we are making positive moves and then revert back or slip back or, and we just, we, uh, well, I've ruined it. I've dishonored God. I, 
you know, but we don't have to look any further than how Jesus interacted with his disciples who were constantly messing up (laughs) and he loved them so deeply, whether it was a small misstep, like they said something foolish or a big misstep, like denying Christ three times, he loved them. And he continued to extend invitations. And that's something that I've been thinking about too in my own life is the areas in which I used to navigate a lot of shame because I do not understand what I do and what I hate to do, I do. I'm in a place now where it's almost like I'm learning to extend more grace. And it's a hard balance, right? Because you can swing the pendulum too much. And one of the ways that you can swing it too much is to operate as though none of it matters. Like, oh, it doesn't matter if I make a mistake. And that's not quite it. It's not a dismissiveness of our missteps. But on the other end, it's also not a profound guilt that, oh, I haven't achieved perfection, therefore I'm still bad. It's this place of recognizing that I am still a broken person in a broken body in a broken world who's being invited into relationship with a perfect God (laughs) who loves me and sees what he has created me to be. And I'm invited to live in that tension as long as this body is still operating, which means that tension, since it will never go away, means there will be moments where I feel the heaviness of it. And there are moments where I feel the elation of eternity. And that is a hard tension to walk in, but that's what we're being invited into. And so how do you encourage people to live in that kind of a space where you're both aware that missteps will happen, but also aware of the invitation that God is giving to abundantly more. Oh my goodness. I read a book a few years ago and it just keeps popping back up into my mind. So I think I need to read it again, but it's called Scouting the Divine. And I'm so sorry, I do not remember the author's name, but the author wrote about the reality of sheep, you know, because we don't understand the realities of Jesus as our good shepherd because we don't herd sheep anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was a wonderful book. But one thing that I learned was that sheep need a shepherd because they like to wander And sheep are better protected inside certain boundaries. So I am free in Christ. I can absolutely do anything I want. And my soul, my eternity, I am free and secure in him. But while I'm on this broken earth, my freedom is best exercised and celebrated within certain boundaries, such as reading my Bible every day, abiding in the word of God, abiding in the Holy Spirit, um, going to church, communing with people that love Jesus, you know, surrounding myself with good things. All of those things are healthy boundaries. When I, as a sheep, go outside of my healthy boundaries, I wander into things that aren't good for me and I'm no longer free. Mm-hmm. However, one day, we are going to be in a place for eternity where we no longer have to have boundaries to celebrate our freedom. We can worship Jesus instead of as our good shepherd. We can worship him as our savior for eternity. And so right now, I do have some healthy boundaries around me, not because they're the rules and I have to follow the rules or, you know, it's a shame, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Jesus gives us the boundaries, gives me boundaries because he wants to keep me healthy and whole and fruitful on this earth. And that's how I celebrate my freedom within those boundaries. Yeah, that's really good. And I love that differentiation of the boundaries aren't so that you can perfectly do the rules, but it's to find fullness because, yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot too. Just this idea of, yeah, it's easy to think of God as this cruel taskmaster who set all these rules and you better obey all of them. And if you don't, 
you can't be with me. When in reality, it is that God has given us freedom out of sheer, utter love for us. He has released us to be free to choose and he longs for us to choose him. But what he is patiently saying is, it's, a, it's like he's saying, yeah, you could choose that thing. I want to let you know right now, it is not going to bring you what you think it will bring you. When we begin to understand God as that, instead of it being a hard rules, you can do this, you can't do this, but rather I want you to have full life. And I'm trying to let you know that that direction is not going to bring you full life. Suddenly we begin to recognize the love more than we do the correction. We begin to recognize that God actually might know more than we do. And this is why, you know, going back to what you said before, the only answer was Jesus. I think the reason why that is so true is, you know, we talked about how all of this stuff can impact your brain. But I want to really emphasize a slight shift on that in that it doesn't just impact your brain, but I really want to emphasize that it impacts our understanding of reality and what we see and what we believe to be true. And as you're talking, it reminded me of, I want to say this was 2017 into 2018. My wife wanted to do the Whole30. And for anyone that doesn't know the Whole30, there's a whole lot of stuff you can't eat in the Whole30, <laughs> including sugar. And we're talking like you need to read the labels and you realize just how many things you didn't know had sugar do have sugar. Pasta noodles, most of them have sugar. You're eating a diet that doesn't have sugar in it. And you can have an addiction without realizing you have an addiction. So I was not eating a whole lot of candy. I've never been, a, I haven't been a big candy guy for a long time, but I had apparently a sugar addiction from wherever the sugar was coming from because I got headaches that like two days in. Well, we get to the end of the month and the whole idea of the Whole30 is you set this new rhythm that then you, you can wean some things back in, but you don't just say, all right, now I'm eating all the desserts. Um, some people do that, but I was like, I just gave up this month. It was November, by the way. So I'm like, man, how is this going to impact Thanksgiving? We ended up having an amazing Thanksgiving dinner. We felt the best we ever had after eating it because we weren't stuffed with unhealthy stuff, but I'm like, I'm not going to squander what I've just done. And so I'm not going to rush back into desserts. Well, then our church did an all church fast and you could do anything fast, electronics or fast, other things. But they also had the Daniel fast, which is also very limiting in what you can eat. And so I essentially went three months without sugar. Well, there is this dessert place called Shindigs in Richmond that makes delicious desserts. And our favorite was the salted caramel cake. If that was ever offered, I, I would eat it. I would love it. It'd be great. It was an amazing dessert. I thought <laughs> because at the end of those three months, somebody had one and I was like, oh, man, what a great way to jump back into this. I take a bite and it tastes like I'm just pouring sugar into my mouth. And I immediately realized like the dessert didn't change. And this isn't a knock to shindigs, you know, <laughs> but the dessert itself hadn't changed, but my understanding of sugar, my relationship with sugar, and more importantly, my perception of sugar had changed to the point where now I recognize just how sweet it actually was. You know, we can pull this out to other areas. And I think specifically of friends I'm in relationship with that have addictions to substances and how on the outset people can look at them and judge them because surely you should know better. But I think we don't realize how easy it is for us to be fooled, how easy it is for our perspectives to be misaligned and how impossible it can be sometimes for us in and of ourselves to extricate ourselves from that. 
which is why your emphasis on Jesus being the way is so important because Jesus can see the things we can't. Jesus can understand the things we can't. And Jesus has the power we don't have. You know, the question that keeps coming to my mind and I think flows right into that. Let's say somebody is in that place where right now their perception is such that they don't fully realize what they don't fully realize. But there's a part of them that wants to start stepping in the right direction. And what you've described is what many of us have recognized is true just in life in general. We can have a strong desire for something, but taking that first step is hard. And then subsequent steps can just seem daunting. So what would you say to someone who is on the cusp of that first step, whether it's around food or sugar or whether it's around something else? What would you say to someone who's on the cusp of that first step that needs a little nudge, a little encouragement? First thing I want to say is you're not alone. The enemy had me convinced I was the only person to ever have this problem. Mm. And the shame that I was feeling was because there was something wrong with me. What I learned during that time of giving up that thing that was so important to me was that there was nothing wrong with me. I was responding the way I was created. Every single one of us is created with a God-shaped hole in our heart. And I was simply trying to fill mine with something other than God. Anytime we do that, we are going to feel empty and we will feel shame. So if someone is on the line, they think that they need to give up this thing, they need to take better steps, but they don't know how. Number one, you're not alone. And number two, there's nothing wrong with you. You just need to start filling that hole with what it was intended for. And that is Jesus. That's good. Taking it a step further, I think sometimes the thing that can stop us is that we don't feel strong enough or brave enough or equipped enough or resourced enough. And, you know, based on your story, my guess is that there are plenty of moments where you felt like that. But my guess is you would say you don't have to be fill in the blank enough. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> I had a great conversation with a friend about forgiveness recently, hmm. and she's having a hard time forgiving herself for the way she lived in her past prior to accepting Jesus as her savior. So we know that through salvation, those sins have been washed away. We know that Jesus loves us. We know that God forgives our repentant heart. We know that there's no condemnation, but she just couldn't forget them. And I said, why do you have to forget them? And she said, well, I know that they're gone. And I said, they're part of your life. They've made you who you are. The important thing is that you don't have to be perfect. What Jesus did has already paid the price for all the stuff that you're ashamed of. So there is no more shame. The price has been paid. Now you get to go tell people, this is what I did. And this is what Jesus did for me. And this is where I am now. And so I do not love telling the story about drinking donut glaze in my living room floor. I don't love that story. Mm -hmm. But I know that when I do tell it, somebody somewhere says, oh my gosh, I, I, I've done something very close to that. Or, oh my gosh, I'm like that when I need sugar, when I've had a bad day, I know that somebody is encouraged. So I tell it, mm -hmm. I tell the story and I just want somebody to know you're not alone. Yeah. That what Jesus did makes it so that your story can impact somebody else. So don't be ashamed of your beginnings. Yeah, that's really good. Makes me think of, I was talking to a guy who does a podcast called Limping Helpers. And the limping piece comes from the story of Jacob wrestling with God. And then he comes away with the limp for the rest of his life. 
his name is T. And basically he had a story where he was longing so much to be seen that he ended up getting mixed up in a lot of stuff that he knew he shouldn't and that his family didn't approve of. And he is in a completely different place now. But the limping piece is there because he recognizes how important it is to not pretend like that past didn't happen. Because like you said, it's a part of his story now, but now it it not only shapes who he is, but it emphasizes who God is. That God chose to love him even though he knew who he was. <laughs> and when we try to disguise our stories, we're diminishing the greatness of God in a sense. If we try to present ourselves as like, hi, I'm a Christian, God loves me and I do everything right. Well, yeah, it's easy to love someone who does everything right. But if someone's like, like the Apostle Paul saying, oh, I'm the chief of sinners. I've done awful things and God loves me. Well, now suddenly somebody sees a bigger picture of God's love that could be big enough for their issues, could be big enough for their missteps. We end up going from making God inaccessible to making him way more accessible than someone even believed he could be because God will not meet me when I'm at my lowest point. He can't meet me there. <laughs> And stories like what you shared is like, oh, no, he absolutely can. He absolutely will. He absolutely might already be right there with you, <laughs> just waiting for you to turn and see him. I mean, I'm grateful for you telling your story and even what you shared, like actively walking alongside others, because I think that's the other piece of this, right, is, you know, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is, it's to love God and love others which means we were designed for God and for community. And now you are living into both of those pieces by both still continuing to seek God and walking alongside others. And that's just, that's just amazing. Well, I do have two final things. So the first one is, if anyone wants to learn more about what you're doing, connect with your content, connect with you, what is the best way for them to do so? You can find me on my website, catsharp.com. That is cat with a C. You can also find me on Instagram or Facebook at catsharp coaching. And I just recently started a podcast myself and it's called the little things with cat sharp because I do feel so strongly about how we can share Jesus and see Jesus through all the little details of our lives. Mm -hmm. So you can find me there as well. That's great. And then the last question is, is there anything else in your heart or mind that you want to share before we go? Oh gosh, so much. <laughs> I could just talk about Jesus all day because, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Which you're also not kidding. <laughs> no, only a little kidding. That's right. <laughs> I just, sometimes I'm amazed at what God has done, you know, and you said that from our past, we see who God is. Overcoming depression, years and years and years of depression, overcoming anxiety attacks. And I am not saying that this is how everyone needs to handle this because I fully understand that everybody has a different situation. But focusing on the truth of who my Heavenly Father is has taken me out of anxiety attacks. Hmm. Every time, once I start to feel that fear rising in my chest, I start, Lord, you are holy, you are good, you are loving. And it stops. And again, I don't want to say that that's a cure for all, but it helps me change my perspective from wherever I'm at onto who he is. And knowing that my past, I am a vessel filled with cracks. There's cracks all over me, but hopefully the cracks in my life are where people see the light of Jesus shine through. 
And so that is what I hope for everybody, that we just embrace our cracks, embrace our weaknesses so that other people can see Jesus. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the one. You're healed, you're clean. Go out, tell the people what you've seen. Revived in Him, new life in Him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is the classic verse for caring for your body, for living healthy. But it's hard, isn't it? It's a struggle. As I was thinking about what to share at the end here, I was reminded of the story of the car that I'm driving now. The car is not my own. A few years ago, my car was totaled, and then some friends of mine let me have an old car that they had that they said might not make it through the winter. And it technically did, but often wouldn't start. And for the last year, it's been sitting in a shop. A whole other story I will not get into here. But I have been blessed by a couple great friends of mine who, because of the pandemic, had a vehicle that they weren't using as much, They asked if I knew anyone that could benefit from having access to a car. I said, I actually do know someone, and his name is me. And for the last year, they have blessed me by letting me borrow their vehicle. Now, here's the thing. I know, just as this verse says, that this car is not my own. And that impacts how I drive it, how I treat it, what I allow in it. Because even though they're not watching my use, They don't have cameras set up in the car to see if I'm eating in the car, to see how fast I'm driving, to see how reckless I'm driving. And even though I know they have tremendous love and compassion for me, because I know it is their vehicle, I want to honor them with how I use it. I want to care for that vehicle because it is a blessing for me to even be able to drive it. They have shown tremendous love and grace and would show tremendous understanding. Yet I also know that I can show love to them and how I use the gift that they've given me. God has given us a gift in our bodies. And one of the ways that we can show love to him is to be mindful of how we use that gift. Kat shares this sentiment as well during our conversation, and she acknowledges that it can be challenging, but she also acknowledges that the power of the Holy Spirit, that the power of Jesus can allow us to engage this in a way that we couldn't on our own. The topic of caring for our bodies is robust and nuanced, and we've only tapped into it here. But I hope you heard Kat's encouragement, because it's true. You are not alone, not just in what you're experiencing, but because of the Spirit, you don't have to go forward by yourself. You don't have to go forward in your own strength. You don't have to go forward in your own wisdom. God is with you. Just as we heard in T's episode, He sees you. He already knows and he still loves you. Used in the wrong way, that verse can make us feel guilty because we are taking advantage of something that is not ours and we aren't fully appreciating that we were bought at a price. But I don't believe that's the heart of this message. And I feel like the heart of this is in verse 19. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? That is beautiful because I don't know about you, But when the Holy Spirit came into my temple, it was not in good shape. The Holy Spirit chose to take residence in a broken temple. 
The Holy Spirit desires to be in you too. And you don't have to renovate. You don't have to clean everything up. You don't have to make it look perfect. You simply have to open the door. And that is a beautiful thing. And when you have a guest that amazing in your temple, it's going to naturally change how you treat that temple. So really, we're not talking about a set of rules of how you're supposed to operate and how you're supposed to live. We're talking about a change in how we understand what is actually happening. And what is actually happening is God is with you. The Spirit is in you. And when we actually grasp that truth, it naturally changes how we function. That's what happened for Kat. She had tried so many things to change how she cared for her body and she failed over and over and over. But then she hit the point where she realized only Jesus could do this and he did and he can for you too. So no matter what your situation is, know this, you are not alone. God sees you, God is with you. The spirit wants to work within you and an amazing journey lies ahead. So welcome God in, take the next best step you can and then ask yourself, where did you see God? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash where did you see God, where you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?